Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 2nd of June 2019. I hope you're all surviving this wonderful break into summer because it's been pouring rain an awful lot up where I am and I'm back to wondering if I should build an ark. And uh, again, it's, it's reminiscent of previous years except last year was, a, was the normal one which was nice and dry and there were some apparently man-made fires, forest fires in the area, man-caused. But uh, it was a nice summer regardless, because it kept the mosquitoes down. And now they're back to this constant grey sky thing, almost constant, because there's occasional day that isn't totally dark. But most of them are so far, or have been, and it's pretty unpleasant. And the amount of rain I'm getting too is rather unpleasant. But the mosquitoes love it. You can hear them outside the windows in a chorus, just to see they're taking over. You see they're getting very cocky again. And bites galore, of course, if you dare go outside. And when you shut a door outside, you close it behind you. Just the waft of it brings millions in with you. That's a problem. And so you've got the pleasure of meeting them one by one uh, for the next few hours or maybe all night long. Even in bed, eh, you wake up and your neck's all bitten with these mosquitoes and you hear that zing, that zing, it, it, it just wakes you up. It must be a primordial memory or something. You, you've got this, this memory of the zzzz uh, from the caveman, eh? and it wakes you up immediately. I think that's really what it encouraged the caveman to put a door in his cave eventually, that that became a house. And of course, real estate started to flourish and now we're, we can't afford the houses anymore going back to the caves. But that's the state of things as we so-called progress along this uh, progressive uh, planned system. What gets me to today is, the again, as I say, we've, we've moved another chapter into the progressive system, a planned system, where media, started going back a few years, mind you, um, took a big dive. Uh, it was already a dive anyway, a lot of the media just with opinions and, and the reporters giving nasty commentaries about different people or whatever it happened to be. But the thing is, eventually they had the Levison Inquiry in Britain and they had the one in Australia and other Commonwealth countries uh, distant tandem and they came out with new laws and restrictions on media. And so you don't get really much investigation at all into reporting. It's all safe reporting today means simply republishing the handouts that government and top agencies give you. That's what they do and that's how they get their money. And that's authorised stuff, you see, and it's safe. There's nothing in it to cause offence, they think. But uh, as far as anything of any, with any grit in it at all, it's it's pretty well taboo. You can still slag politicians because that's what they're there for, uh, because they're not really making the the real major decisions on top. But you'll notice we're in a kind of limbo, because since the Levison Inquiry, uh, pretty well all the news you're getting is just straight handouts from government departments even through PR companies for governments, in fact, in, in different agencies too. And lots of the, the health things that they hand out to are simply ads for, distant ads for that. And the rest of it is um, photographs, like the Daily Mail, so stacks of photographs, to try and trap you, make you go, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, for hours and then. And that's fair enough and if they want to, because they, they have to make their money somehow. But what happens to the stars, the so-called stars, actors and actresses, etc., or models or whatever happens, that's not news. That really isn't news. News is supposed to be to do with uh, things that affect all of us, you see. That's what it always was before. 
and news at one point, uh, like the fourth estate, was to inform the public, like a medium between government and agencies and authority and the general public. That was supposedly what they gave themselves, the kind of title. But of course it was a con then too, because they all uh, did the right things and they're all looking for, in Britain especially, they were looking for their their knighthoods, etc., which is a big thing today. There's more folk from the Labour Party seeking uh, knighthoods over the years, according to some articles out there. It's quite astonishing, really. Or is it really? Eh? Is it really? Uh, and they groveled as soon as they, they, they see that possibility of a knighthood. But um, that's the system in which we live today. You don't really get... You, you get declarations from governments. Now, Britain's been awfully good at that, with declarations, even during that, all the real heavy socialist era, where it's more obvious when Harold Wilson was in. And you could tune into BBC Radio and listen to the Department of so-and-so and the Ministry of Agriculture has declared blah, 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 uh, and the Ministry of Fisheries has declared blah, 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 and they can tune into Radio Moscow, and you get this exact same format in English, because hmm? they had an English version, exact, and you swear it was all coming from the same place. But mind you, after the so-called abandonment of uh, the Soviet Union, you found so many of the radio hosts in Russia had been trained and neglected <laughs> by the BBC. <laughs> Which again puts above a farce and a lot of the agenda that we're given. But today they're back on the same role again. There's, there's occasional declaration here and there, but, but you have to really search for it. They're not going to hand it out to you happily because they don't want you involved in anything. Remember, a democracy is supposed to be informed consent for the public to accept anything. So that's uh, so a nice joke, I know that, but it's, you know, the intentions are there, I suppose. You know, they're nice intentions, but it sounds nice. But in reality, they don't want public inputs when there's some laws coming up or, or something to be de- debated in a government, because then you get immediately, uh, hopefully, you know, more so in the U.S., of course, the citizens' organizations immediately wanting some inputs and at least some output from what they're up to. That we could, you could stop, or hopefully, or, or sway something or alter something that was going to get put upon the people. But nowadays, uh, you, you only find out about things that have happened often after the fact. They don't want your input, therefore they don't tell you. And they've been training the public, I've said this for years, to sit back and uh, allow yourself to be governed by these experts. And the experts are not the politicians. Uh, the, the civil service bureaucracies are far more important. And they have heads of different departments and civil service in every country. They have their long term, they have their whole life career there, basically. They know what's going on and they know what they're about, basically, and how the system works. Whereas with politicians, they have what's called musical chairs. If they, if, if they screw up in one department, again, put it as the head of it, basically, they move them to another department. And of course, then they ask the top, politici- uh, top civil servant to issue them with uh, you know, things to say and, and, and read and and tell the public. That's how it's done. So really the civil service is awfully important, as every government knows. And uh, uh, today, of course, they simply don't want you involved in the knowing, or certainly not the debating, of any up-and-coming big agendas. And everything really is one big global agenda. It really is. It truly is. It's so comical to to read the the guff, (laughs) the guff they give you for news. And you're supposed to believe it. It, it, it truly is the biggest drama. A very, well, I guess it's, I, I don't know if it's good dry, good soaps or not good soaps. I never watched soaps, I couldn't stand them. But it's, it's halfway okay, you know, for, for, for soaps, I suppose. Because that's what you're getting. 
That's all you're getting. In Britain, what they had them on suspense for, uh, as we've seen in Britain, you're in suspenders for, for about two years or whatever, waiting for this Brexit thing. And, and is May going to pull you out? Is she not going to pull you out? They're going to do that Clause 50 or whatever, Article 50 and keep you in, yada, yada, yada. And they played it all awfully well, just dragging on. Because if they keep going on with that article, I think it's Article 50, then you find that Brussels has the right to tell them the terms, you see, which would not be nice. But if they, if they just toss it out and say, we're going this way, and that's it, then Brussels has to come to them, and then Britain would make that. That's how they play it to the public, in a way. It's so interesting to see that Britain was one of the main countries. It's actually the main country initially to start off with for a global world system, a, a government system for the whole planet through the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They, they boasted about it. It's on their, all their books. And they set up this secret organization, well, secretive organization by recruiting people who become politicians in all parties at the, at the heads of them to, to help, not just in Britain, but in all the British Commonwealth countries to, to, make, to bring this about. Then again, they turned a lot of it over to the U.S. because Britain was broke after two world wars. They were intended eventually to bring in a world system because everybody was so sick of war, which made you sick of nations, you see. They used, they used that as an excuse. If it wasn't for nations, you wouldn't have international war between nation-states, as they call it. So the, the wars were awfully good, but they didn't get the global system. They did get out of it, though, the secretive arrangement for a united Europe, and out of it, too, they had the, the, the American summit group. And then the free trade negotiation, that became the NAFTA, and it's now the new name, but it's the same organization exactly. Nothing's changed for the Americas. So that's, that was all part of the old, old plan before they even had World War One. It's documented. It's not conspiracy stuff. It's all documented by the organizations themselves. And books put out to the top not just by Carol Quigley, but many members belonging to, say, the CFR in the U.S., for instance. And uh, and even for the Fortress America group that came out in Canada and states on behalf of the CFR, by the head of uh, the CFR at the time, that was Lloyd Axworthy, I think. And he had been the Deputy Prime Minister of Canada just before that. And they came out as the CFR, talking about the need to integrate all of the Americas under one system. So we continue with it all, of course, and now that they'll be using climate change and everything else you can dream up, you know, bogus enemies, etc., uh, to bring it all about, including the very old agenda, going all the way back, probably even before Thomas Malthus, to do with population reduction. And as they well know, of course, and but facts don't matter, they well know that the, the more employment people have, with a decent wage, etc., and true enough, just like Charles Galton Darwin said, they can be enticed to have a motor car, he says, as opposed to having children. So in other words, the materialistic benefits will make them not want to have so many children. And that has been awfully successful, as we know, in the West, and, and, and coupled with mass, uh, the mass promiscuity agenda. The, the more you, you stay single and, and have lots of, of sexual partners, then the less likely you are to have a permanent one, and nor, nor, nor want children. So that's been awfully successful, too. This is all by design. I hope people understand that. It didn't happen by itself. Because instinct is, is very, very strong. You're born with these instincts. And, of course, the mating instinct is what preserved humanity. If you don't live in a tribe where the whole tribe looks after the children, then, uh, in the Western countries certainly, it, it didn't to that extent, even within tribes, it's had families, because 
the whole tribe can't afford, in a money system, you can't afford to take care of the children. So it's up to the individuals who have the children to take care of themselves. So that's what the family always was for. But in the welfare system and in the socialist system, the idea was to, to, to wean it off that. They'd actually said that in all the writings at the top, uh, that if they, could, if they could just, in psychology, if they could just train the public to have sex and not to have bonding, the bonding, that's what, that was their main enemy. And so the more sexual partners you have and the more it's promoted in a sexual cultural, meaning entertainment system, then the less chances that you have of uh, permanent bonding. And even if there's something there to begin with in a couple, if you're watching television, uh, you're going to be awfully, awfully unhappy with it. But it doesn't matter who your partner is after a while because it's meant to make you dissatisfied. In fact, everything on television... Uh, with, with commercials is meant to make you dissatisfied with everything you presently have. That's the whole point of commercials. Uh, so you get that particular thing that's missing in your life, obviously. It's that chewing gum or whatever it is, and uh, your whole life's going to be just hunky-dory. So you've got to be unsatisfied or dissatisfied with whatever you have at the time. And that's how, how simply it is to, to work. It works awfully well. So as I say, the, the, the targets are obvious. It's been very successful. And then the promotion of single-parent families uh, and, and housing too. I think Tony Blair uh, really revamped all of that uh, because they, they, want, they wanted to encourage women to have just children if they wanted children but don't have husbands. And there's even articles out now, in fact. Again, the same articles by ex, an expert here and an expert there who's, who've always got books out, of course telling you that, that single women are much happier and live longer than, than married women. And, of course, they don't give the statistics to show it. But then that's how it's done, isn't it? Who needs real, true, checkable facts when you're promoting an agenda? Everything's like that, isn't it? It's like the spraying in the skies. You're not supposed to ever notice it. And, and they even had all these... Whenever you find anything to do with, with uh, scientific fact, an observational fact... Like when in 1998 in Canada, when they were really, in Ontario at least, they, they, they were side spraying the skies daily. And it was so obvious. And, and they were much, much, much lower when they were doing the crisscrossing back then too. It was like walking into a sci-fi movie at the time. That's what it was like. It truly was. It was perfect, perfect checkerboard pattern. But so much lower. Uh, wide, wide trails because it's low. And you weren't supposed to notice. And most folk, and it would surprise me, I talked to a few folk that day and pointed out, and said, oh, yeah, yeah. But, but they won't take anything as startling unless, because they really do think, as, as Zygmunt Brzezinski said, that the media and, and the news is there to do the reasoning for them. And if you're not told to, to be aware of something or, 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 or to be on the alert or the lookout for something, uh, then obviously it's not very important. That's, that's how simple it is to, to do outrageous things in the public, and they're completely oblivious of it. They, 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 they will if they would I mean, it should have freaked them all out. Something in your environment changes instantly like that. You've never seen it before. It wasn't a few trails. It was literally from horizon to horizon. These big, thick... I mean, when you put your, when you put your arm up uh, in front of you, these trails were so low; they're as thick as your as your your forearm, if you you know as your forearm would be from your from your eyes. And uh, it was it was freakish; it really was. Uh, 
And it was the same time too, the same year, when they, they brought in what they called um, downbursts, this new term, downbursts. You might see that downbursts are happening and these, these sudden blasts coming down from, from the sky and, and, and even doing straight lines through forests, absolutely straight lines like a highway through forests and things like that, all brand new phenomena. And, and, and they said that it took, a, it took the upper part of a building off outside Toronto, I think it was, this sudden downburst. But get used to that. The terms again. Then you had noctilucent clouds floating across the sky at night, glowing and red and yellow and all this kind of stuff. And, and then, they, oh yeah, people saw that uh, hundreds of years ago, says old Indian legend. I mean, they come out with this stuff uh, as they're doing new stuff, obviously, all the time and superheating the atmosphere. Then you had the heart project out and that was the first time they admitted that they had it in Alaska, but now they have them all over the place now. And they could even use whole arrays of them, individual arrays, across miles and miles, or even across the country, that work in unison occasionally, and they can triangulate uh, where they're projecting the, the power source, the superheating atmosphere, and then cause amazing changes in the weather and atmosphere, and uh, amazing things they can cause, for sure. And a lot of universities have, uh, have their mini-harps, all parts of this huge uh, array system that they have. So we live in a scientific age of scientific supremacy, they say. Whatever you, you're, you're looking at, you have an expert telling you what to do, like Bertrand Russell said. He says, we'll train them. He says, that the, until women can't have, or anybody couldn't change a, a diaper on a child uh, without expert advice and to be shown how to do it. That's come to pass now. We now also have bioethicists. I did a show years ago on that when they first gave it to the public and they launched them on television and there's across all the newspapers. Oh, this so-and-so says this bioethicist has, has declared. These, these people who are only human beings like you and I are, are given special abilities, special insights on what ethics are as we start creating laws on, on what's ethical and what's not ethical to do with us, including our bodies. And to our bodies, in fact, see? And now, of course, uh, they're deciding if you live, die, or whatever for your organs and, and hospitals, and it's going to get a lot worse. But you don't think for yourself, for goodness sake, because, because you've got bioethicists who, who've got it all in hand. Thank goodness they're there. And we can just sit and play and, and, and drool, I guess, while they're making all the decisions on what to do with our lives. How calmly we accept it all, eh? Because like Russell said, he said train, the people won't be, do anything without the advice of experts. And they've got them all out there. You've been trained with them. The, 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 these weather stations, you know, these weather programs that they have on television and weather stations and for television, uh, 24 hours a day, horror stories. And they were designed to be horror stories until a little bit of drizzle was going to be a mass flood. And before that, of course, they started it with the weather people showing you t- t- the next day's weather. And, it was, and they come out there dressed in oil skins. It was going to rain. Are we children or something? This is how gradually you're trained into, you know. But, but this is how it's done. And they admit now, but in books put out by people who are involved in the setting up of the Weather Channel and different ones to terrify you, that that was the purpose of them, was to terrify the public. Because, you see, you won't go along with, with say, um, the big, big global agenda on, on uh, sustainability 
unless you go along with this whole hype on, on weather change or weather modification, as I prefer to call it. Because what's normal weather today when they are geoengineering the skies? Hmm? Are the effects of what you're seeing the effects of the geoengineering? Of course they are. You can't have honest uh, tests or statistics today when you've got daily geoengineering going on, and it has been going on for years now. And remember that the top report said, as I said, if we ever had to geoengineer, this is years ago, I keep all this stuff. They said from their main meetings in the U.S. at the time, they said, if we were to do this, you couldn't just stop it once we've started it. He said, because once we've altered the climate by geoengineering, if you were to stop doing it, you'd have incredible catastrophic events happening when you suddenly stop it. Because, you see, the whole point is also to, to alter the jet patterns of, of the airstreams, the currents, the normal flows, and divert them elsewhere. That way you can divert moisture into one place and heat to another, etc. Make it dry in one place, wet in another, and reverse it when they want to. That, that, it's literally child's play today by superheating certain parts of the atmosphere. And so it, it's all happening. And therefore, are we going into the geoengineering, still going into the geoengineering? They said it might take 20, 30 years to get enough of the particulates to inject into the, into the stratosphere, the particles. It might take 20 to 30 years to get a loading dose up there that would stay there for 100 years. So are we still going into that phase, uh, that, which is making incredible things happen already, are we coming out of it? See, they won't tell you anything because it's all secretive. You're still supposed to think that they're still debating where to do it or not, even though they admit they have been doing it in other papers at universities. It's a sad thing in this world where people truly tout uh, what they think is fact, that they're, they're free in a democracy. Uh, when you're, you run in a pretty well absolute secrecy, in fact, you run as children. Don't, don't frighten the children uh, by telling them unpleasant things of what we're going to do. They might not like it, so they might stop us by protesting. So just don't tell them anything. And that's what it is. Meanwhile, you can get the bus dimensions of some movie star every day there, and you probably see the bus, in fact. But the fact that, that this is not news, the real news you're not going to get. And what you are getting is a kind of um, downplayed version of what they're already doing. It's sad, but true, isn't it? We, we know this. We know this. And then you go into, and, and how quick people forget things too. You, you're so overloaded with data and bits and bytes and dribbles every day from all sources, uh, and you, you won't remember much of it at all. Uh, that's why they overload you with it, especially the 99% of it is irrelevant data. It truly is irrelevant. And the stuff that you should remember, or you'd hopefully remember, is put across in all this stuff, like a needle in a haystack, so that you pretty well have been legally informed, but you won't remember consciously. Or if you do, you say, oh, oh yeah, I kind of vaguely remember. And that's how it's done. So the pretense of democracy can, can be kept going along. Now I'll put up a, a link from a few years ago, actually, uh, to do with climate geoengineering governance, a, a research project um, from UK, and uh, it's from geoengineering governance research, and uh, you can have a, a good read at that too. It's got a lot of links. There's even stuff up on YouTube from big world meetings and things like that, 
if you're interested, almost folk aren't interested in these things because they're trained out of really um, caring. They, they, they've been trained to believe they're being governed well and, and these special, special invisible people above who are just so incredibly and brilliant, you see, are managing you all. And it's your place to, to be down below and just play and enjoy yourself and, and watch the movies and stuff like that, you know, party. And that's how you're trained, isn't it? And they have uh, world agendas to do with uh, well-being. And I've mentioned some of them before. Because, you see, under austerity programs, and that's what they are, for sustainability, you're being trained. It doesn't matter if you don't have much of what you think you want. If they can reshape what you really should have and make you want that instead, be happy with it, then, and then your well-being goes up. And it's going to be all, all, all nicey-nicey-good then, you see. They're there. And that's how it's done. And I've read these articles too. Uh, there are never world meetings under the UN and uh, different organizations all working on them. But I'll put some of these things up perhaps tonight. Because as I say, you, you should just be happy, you know. Like that silly, silly, dumb song. Don't worry, be happy. Huh? If you can't eat, or you know people around you, or even yourself, if you're if you if you're addicted to drugs that are just flooding the countries now on cue, mind you, and being allowed to, and there's folk dying all over the place, and and you can't have us. Your your brain goes on them right away. You know you're completely dysfunctional, and you're going to stay that way till you maybe you die or get off them, if you can. But they just make you be happy. Be happy with what you've got. You might be living on the streets, but but hey, what's wrong with living on the streets if you're just happy? Hmm? And of course, they, they even have articles about t- taking the drugs to make you happy. As long as you're happy, that's the final. Don't forget what the whole Freudian thing's about. Hmm? That being being well meant you, you were in a state of happiness, which is nonsense. What does he mean by happiness? That there's a there's different degrees of, of contentment, you see, and and stability for the day, and in between phases. There's there's times too you must be a bit depressed because depression can 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 goad you and you do something better for yourself, perhaps you see, or depression might say you 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 procrastinate on this long enough, do something about it, things like that. So these are natural things, but no, they want you to be happy all the time, just like the the ads on TV. You know, the dumb edge you get all the Just smile and grin and be happy, you see. And if you can't have a good smile and you can't afford a dentist these days because it's so incredibly extortionate, then be happy with the, with the mouthful of, of teeth or broken teeth that you have, you see. Just be, if you're happy, who cares, you see. There you go. There's the answer. That's the Freudian thing. The Freudian whole idea was that the system, as he destroyed religion under science, you see, taken over as your new master, then there'd be so much unhappiness and depression. So psychiatrists would step in and take the place of the priests. And therefore, all the people who went to priests for, for, for advice or help or whatever, or even confession, could then go to the, to, the, to the psychiatrists and pay them big money to confess all these things. And then, then they could put you on pills, right? maybe for life, and make even further profits from that too. Isn't that wonderful? Chemical happiness hmm? doesn't last long. 
but again, I'm, I'm, I'm going off the topic here. I wasn't even going to talk about this tonight. I just wondered about um, how folk are perceiving this new reality they're in. Have they adapted quickly into it? With, with the nonsensical mil- a million photographs per newspaper, but no real stories, and definitely not stories that matter. And are they quite are they adapting to the fact they've been told very little? At one time, people would demand that the, at least the politicians would put a show on on television and, and give different statements about different things they were up to. They don't even bother with anymore. They, all you get is the scandals and the PR shots of them. You know, like like wrestlers just bad mouthing their opponents. It's all an act, of course, just like the wrestling thing. It's, it's a big act, but that's what they've given you for reality now, isn't it? Because you see, the agenda is so so entrenched that no one can get off of this progressive agenda. This it's written in stone. It's not happenstance. None of it has happened. It all merges together. Towards, towards a particular world society that they're creating with a vastly reduced population. And what you're living through now are, are really the early stages of it. There's got a lot to do yet, but it's, it, they've got all the technologies to make it happen. Right down to their advanced projections for the military on, on population declines around 2030, a sudden drop. They don't tell you why it's a sudden drop, but they know exactly when, when the, the, the up and coming uh, youngsters will, will hit a certain age and for procreation, and there was a sudden, even further, massive decline in fertility. That's part of it, you see. Don't forget, even with the basic studies they did on, on soya, with the soya bean and all that, it was heavily modified and heavily toxic too, uh, with, with uh, particular herbicides that they created at the time years ago. And the studies that were that came out, the official studies that came out on, on them, when they, they said that the first, the, the ones who ate it, the, the, the test rats, etc., could develop to st- stomach or colon problems and, and decreased fertility, but the offspring uh, would, would have twice as much increased sterility and the, the next generation were al- almost uh, completely sterile. You see how your genes are altered step by step. This is a big, big breakthrough for them too because you see... When you went to bio-warfare and you studied the terrible things we were working on during World War II, they looked at different um, programs for extended warfare on different... They might last 20, 30, 40, 50 years or, or almost a permanent state of warfare like they was envisaged in, uh, in George Orwell's 1984, you see. Well, how do you, over a long period of time, uh, win that war, protracted war? Well, you make sure that you must, you must get to the young, fertile group, who are, who are, or even babies, because eventually they're going to grow up and produce more children, you see. This is widely discussed in all military colleges. Even today, it's standard stuff. And uh, some of the conflicts in the Arabian countries or Arab countries, uh, that you'll lots of, see lots of documentation on how to bring them down over a long period of time by using different techniques. Of course, they don't tell you all the techniques you're going to use because they probably will be using them on us all, actually. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's quite fascinating to, when you see it all happening. After reading it from about years and years ago, and it's all happening across the planet, but mainly in the West, as we go, we go down in, with fertility. Whenever you see things like that, and you get all the different... Uh, there's, it's multifactorial. You've got plastics, of course. 
They made it popular to drink uh, bottled water. Why do you think that was? Hmm? Until you can't you an ad or even things in movies without the main characters drinking from bottled water. These soft plastic, the worst kind you can get for bisphenols. Which are, uh, which are awfully good at uh, causing reduced sperm in the male for sure. And many other uh, hormonal factors in male and female. Hormone disruptors and mimickers too. Then you get this one here too, eh? A recent study that tested both men and dogs added to concerns. I guess I guess that's how we're lumped now. If you're men, you're equivalent to a dog. But both men and dogs added to concerns like chemicals. And it's true enough, eh? <laughs> we're the most hated species at the moment. That chemicals in the environment are damaging the quality and quantity of sperm. It says here, surprising new research into dog sperm has reproductive biologists concerned about the fate of their own species. So the dogs are afraid of their, but they fate their own species, I guess, the way they word it here. Anyway, it says, in a March study, scientists at Nottingham University found that two chemicals common in home environments damage the quality of sperm in both men and dogs. The culprits implicated are, are diethylhexyl phthalates, used to make new plastics more pliable, and polychlorinated uh, biphenyl 153, found in older plastics and electrical equipment. Companies stopped producing the PCBs in the late 1970s due to their health risks, including a possible increased risk of cancer, hormone disruption, liver damage, and behavioral or cognitive deficits in, in children exposed to chemicals in neutral. But that's a big one, too. Uh, but the chemical persists in the environment. So another study out, too. This one from Nottingham. Uh, without the sheriff, of course, but it says the study is just one in a mountain pile of research indicating that the quality and quantity of mere sperm is on the decline. Well, it's been on the decline since about the 70s, steadily, but this is a, this is a further bang again. It's just that sperm counts have dropped by half in the last 50 years, and that a higher percentage are poor swimmers. That's, that's you know, they're, they're immortal, basically. Slow and gainly or beset by genetic flaws. The ones that persisted are, are flawed now, you're, you're the sperm. And then it says that the exact cause of that decline is not well understood. What a nonsense, eh? All these things happened after world meetings. There was a world meeting, remember, for basically during the, the, the end of World War Two. I think the war was still going on, and King George was supposedly the head of it, the, the titular head of it, at least, for the meeting. And all the top uh, royal society uh, scientists and that, and... The, the relevant groupings got together and talked about the the, 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 the this is, but they haven't killed enough people off for this war, you know. So, um, especially eligible young men, and therefore uh, they'd have to do something about a future population explosion, etc., etc. So they came up with that idea, even the psychological stuff too, and repetition. Oh my God, the baby boomers, baby boomers, be like a like a curse on 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 the planet. Baby boomers, they've never had people having babies before. Hmm. See. So they went to work, of course. They didn't sit back. And then, so after that, but not even 20, 30 years later, you, you've got the, 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 the sperm count in half by just by accident. But, you know, it's happened by itself, I suppose. And folk will we'll accept it as that, too. There's always a cause for everything. Always, folks. It doesn't just happen by itself. It doesn't happen. If you get up in the morning and your left leg doesn't want to follow uh, your body, there's a cause for it. If you just accept it as some new normal, then good luck, you know. But it's the same with everything that happens. There's always a cause for it. 
And the problem is today we're getting taught just to accept things. Just be happy. Be happy. You can still have intercourse, maybe, you see, with, with chemical aids and stuff. But the fact is, you won't produce children. And if you do, there's ways you can get rid of that problem too. The, the, the folk just don't get it, eh? They really don't get it. That the big authorities out there that are managing the population, counting all the rest of it, don't give a darn about you. They really don't. They've got other agendas to fulfill. Really. Anyway, so sperm count is on the decline. And the exact cause of the decline is not well understood, you see. One culprit may be increasingly unhealthy lifestyles. Not sure, sure. The same factors that affect general health and, and so on. And they always go obesity, smoking and stress, alcohols and blah, blah, blah. But they say many researchers also suspect chemical residues in the environment may be partly to blame. Well, if you look at what's in the stuff that you're eating, pesticides and herbicides and all the other kind of things too, then perhaps they've got something to do with it too, folks, eh? Hmm. What do you think? But anyway, the motility, the ability for your sperm to actually swim is definitely damaged. It's, it's much, much lower. And you can see all under the microscope. Lots, lots of university studies and all of that. Uh, so, there you go. But also I want to do into this, and it's to do with the well-being budget, right? New Zealand's got one too. They've all got them. See, it just happened, again, from a central agency for, for, the, for the world system and the United Nations. And I read the articles when they first came out with this well-being. Never mind about stopping, you know, eliminating the poverty problem. and all that. Just feel well. Feel, don't increase salaries and wages and to, to, for living staff. No, just make you feel well with where you are, you see. So New, New Zealand's world first well-being budgets to focus on poverty and mental health, see. So it claims to be the first to measure success by people's well-being. There you are. Yeah. So child poverty, domestic violence, and mental health will be the priorities in New Zealand's well-being budget. Yeah, so they have well-being budgets now. The finance minister, they're destroying all cultures. They're destroying traditional systems and families and everything else and work. I mean, it's all been given over to, to basically to, to third world countries, all the industry. They employed millions and millions and millions of people across the, the world. But it's all stuck in the same areas now. And folk, are, are, they seem to have no purpose. Their religions have been stripped off them and getting hammered and chipped away, which gave them at least something to turn to rather than going to, to psychiatrists. God help you go to psychiatrists. Hmm? Or these agencies, the governments are just churning out, the, the new scientists are going to manage your minds for you. Just hand it over. Hmm? But people have nothing to believe in now, you see. As I say, if you want, how can you go to, to humanity for help when it's humanity at the top, the strata of scientific tyranny that's destroying you all and bureaucracy and, and politics? Hmm? You need something beyond that. And actually, uh, you, whatever man puts out when he puts himself as God to manage everything ends in disaster. Uh, hell on earth. That's what comes out. For the majority of the public, hell on earth. Absolutely. And it's, it's only in the, 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 the first stage of this, which it gets really rolling, folks, into, into real austerity. And another one, too, is personal well-being. Rather than economic growth, should be the primary aim of government spending. 
the tax ever an off you and then you've got the, the, the cheek to turn not give you anything back for it just come back and say just be happy with your state of living eh? <laughs> well they can be happy these politicians and so on because they're all living off of us and they live awfully these servants live way above the masters don't they hmm? topsy-turvy world and their article to the essence of evil sex with children has become big business in america because that's the next hurdle is what they call intergenerational sexual relations and uh, step by step they, they said they would get to this phase and here they are now and uh, children as young as, as young girls some as young as nine are being bought and sold for sex in America and the average age for a young woman being sold for sex is now 13 years old isn't that just it's progressive eh? And it says sex trafficking, especially when it comes to the buying and selling of young girls, has become big business, the fastest growing business in organized crime and the second most lucrative commodity traded illegally after drugs and guns. And, and I mean, look at the state of society. Eh? I know people in London who walk around with... Uh, uh, bulletproof vests on now it's, it's so dangerous there and, and, and now they're bringing out special ones to deal with just knives because they're getting stabbed in different places it's pretty common now this is progress they call it really okay uh, excuse me if I don't agree with you so I'll put these links up and then there's another and here's the answer to, to the remember all the grooming of the children and stuff in Britain and elsewhere in Europe and you know you're not supposed to talk about now and it's true isn't it and the governments told the cops to, to lay off the grooming gangs etc in Britain for years thousands of people were are being destroyed forever these children so they, they get the unions to go forward under a supposedly good cause, you say, without thinking it through where it's supposed to go. Decriminalise sex work to protect us from crime prostitutes, say. And the English Collective says laws forcing women to work alone expose them to violence. Well, you know, that's where, it, that's where prostitution always goes. So you've got an English collective of prostitutes. I already last week put up some stuff uh, from areas in England that, that there were officially the trial areas for legal prostitution. And it's, they're still falling down dead with you know, syringes stuck in their arms and stuff and, and they get disease and, uh, and, and alcohol and they're, they're dying, of course. And then, then they're fighting each other for, for, the, for their area, for their, you know. But anyway, this one up here too says it'd be better just to make it all legal. Then all those, those <laughs> really amazing, you see what's going to go. If they make it legal, and then the next step is let's legalize young children, right? From the previous article, let's just legalize that and make children that are precocious, you know, and they know what it's all about, and make it legal for them to have sex too. And then they have, they have government pimps managing them, see? Why not? If your government's already the pimp or your drug pusher, your government now, uh, then why not just do you understand where it's up, what's happening here? And this is not happens. It's not stupidity either. This is an agenda. And then they bring in the nurses in Britain, right? Royal College of Nurses, the union, know what? Vote to back decriminalisation of prostitution. So there you go. Get them on the act as well. But they don't think it all the way through, do they? They really don't. They really, really don't. 
They don't think where it's all meant to go. And that's the beauty of collective organization. Bernays said that. If you want to, you know, he said to the, to the, the big marketers, don't go door to door trying to get people to, to back whatever you're selling them or, or changes or whatever it happens to be. Go to the heads of organizations, including, including ministers and priests or whatever, and get them on board with you. And, and we saw that all that happening. It happens all the time. They're all on board with the green agenda and the eco this and eco that. And, and before you know it, they're all, they're all pushing for having less children. It is beautiful how it works, isn't it? Bring your flocks to us, you see. So uh, here's, the, here's the College of Nurses, and they really don't see where it's going to go. It's, going to be, it's already hell, but it's going to be a worse hell once you legalize all this stuff. And then you get all the different, the, the real grooming gangs in action and stuff, and, and they'll get their licenses to operate, and there you go. And prostitution is seen as a leisure activity tackling Spain's sex traffickers. There you go. Big business, etc. In this day and age, you surprise is big business. It's astonishing. And last week, too, I mentioned about <laughs> the things that are happening now with organs, you know, and being an organ donor, and how really it's amazing business. It's amazing, and how they can con everybody into getting their, you know, their organs, and the dangers of all this, where it's all meant to go, of course. And is it, you know, will you even get treated in the hospital, or they're going to bring you back into a, uh, on your feet and get you walking, or are you more lucrative to them for your body parts? You better start thinking. Don't think for a second that this won't happen. I mean, corruption does, uh, corruption doesn't stop at the street level. It's worse way above that. Look at your governments. The Baltimore Sun, it says, overdose deaths largely from heroin and powerful prescription painkillers such as fentanyl reached record highs across the country. Maryland had one of the biggest surges in the country with 1,259 fatal overdoses last year, twice the number in 2010. So there's progress for you. And so nationally, organ donations from those who overdose from injected drugs are the fourth largest donor group. According to the data from the United Network for Organ Sharing. That's organ sharing. <laughs> it's not ghouls, it's organ sharing, which coordinates donations. It's big business, eh? Drug overdoses eclipsed, uh, eclipsed homicide victims years ago. And uh, the overdoses ranked behind people who died of natural causes. It says uh, the largest group of donors, as well as car crash victims and those who committed suicide, car crash donors have declined as auto safety improved. It's actually getting worse again, auto safety, because they've legalized other things and their mind certainly isn't on the road now. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you understand, we are the business. I've said it so many times. We are the business. And we're also the product at the end of all. We buy it all, and, we, and then they, they make money off us when we're, we're about to die. Remember, they want to keep you alive, is to take your organs out of you. I hope you understand that. They don't want death or organ death. They, they want to keep you alive and harvest the organ. The last one to get out is, is, the, is the heart, to keep you going, as they, as they basically cannibalize everything else. When, when, when the people who go there to, to receive the organs, so the different surgeons are, are sent in, they're flown in by jet. Big businesses, as I say. There's ones that will take the kidney specialists, ones with the liver and heart and lungs and so on. And the person in charge of it is the heart and lung specialist because he'll keep that going until all the ones are taken out. 
and uh, straight into the, the freeze, you see, for, for preservation. And then, then basically they, they have the job of real causing the real death by cutting it off, and that's it. Now it goes the heart and lungs, that's it. That's how it's done, for those who don't know. It's big, big business. And then to persuade the public that, that you to do all for nice causes, you see. Do you think that's all going to nice causes? Do you really think that? I mean, how many folk are getting transplants a day, even in your own country? Compared to how many folk are being cannibalized in your own country every day? Anyway, as death tolls rise, opioid crisis makes more organs available for transplant. This is where it's going, you see. And then it gives you a, a story there of uh, her son lay dying and this poor woman and so on. Very, very emotional. A nurse who works with people with chronic kidney disease, blah, blah. Knew the impact of such donations. Well, and so they give you something that's very heart-wrenching, etc. But of course the whole thing is, it's, it's good that even though the guy dies, his death's not in vain, you see. This is, this is where, it's, where it's going. And... Uh, Tragic, tragic as I say, but really, when you book in in Ontario to a hospital or you're taken into a hospital, you're automatically put down as a donor unless you opt out. They don't tell you at the time. That was in the papers, though, a few years ago. And they even have um, professional persuaders that are jetted across the country to hospitals. Just men and women, they seem kind of ordinary men and women, who come in, they're often nice and they're trained to to, to reach uh, worried or grieving uh, parents who are in hospital, who are in there for someone on, on, on artificial life support or whatever it happens to be, to try and convince them to, to get, just sign them over for, for organ parts. I mean, you understand, this isn't more humanity, I think. I see it as, we're, we're just products, and, and we're, worth, we're worth an awful lot. These folk won't be doing this jetting across for nothing. Persuading folk, remember, they're getting paid awfully well. So... And, of course, uh, yeah, it also tells me that they must understand what, what um, the different antidotes to these different drugs can be, and they must have awfully fast ways, I would think, uh, of determining if, if there's actual other diseases present, very quick, like almost instant, to even bother to take uh, organs, etc. Hmm? If they're taking them from, say, uh, car accidents, and, and so on. Now, DARPA... Is the, 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 the for the uh, that that's the big testing or and research organizations the, the, the ARPA, but they call it just ARPA. That's the part that gave you the computer. They developed it during the Cold War, supposedly to interact with the Soviet system. So they had they had their war games going on through computers back then. And then they gave us the computer to get us all into it because the agenda was to literally alter the world and and spy on all of us and manage and control all of us, of course. And it was DARPA, and it says the U.S. Department of Defense is close to expanding its legendary future warfare and technology agency called DARPA by combining it with the Pentagon office in charge of adapting existing weapons to new uses. And people familiar with the, the plan said, so the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, that's the name of it, you see the full name, would observe uh, the strategic capabilities offices and centralize more research units under the Pentagon's chief technology officer, Michael Griffin. Now, in the past, they put a wonderful story. We created a chip that can implant in paraplegics, and they can actually type 
on a on a computer, which is just with their thought. So see, you understand that this so this warfare outfit puts all these wonderful things out to help people, because you know that the peacekeepers today are are, are warriors. You're dressed like warriors have always been with grenades and weapons and so on. Right? But they become peacekeepers, and DARPA, uh, this this wonderful organisation. Uh, the, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, they give you all your advanced warfare stuff, is there to, to, to help paraplegics and stuff. And you, you see, you've got it all wrong. You, just, you keep thinking bad things. You must be paranoid thinking they're there to, to actually do warfare kind of stuff on the world, you know? Get, get, get with the program here. So the combination would end an experiment with SEO that began as an attempt to adapt to future, th- future threats quickly with less bureaucracy. Uh, it says here, then they give. So, anyways, it says all of SEOs, the part there, one point three billion dollars, twenty twenty budget requests were transferred to DARPA, and DARPA would gain control over thirty seven percent more funding on top of its twenty twenty funding request of three point five billion. It's charged with developing unexpected and game changing capabilities to counter emerging threats, and it's looked into projects like swarming small drones and transforming the Raytheon. Raytheon Co-made standard missile six, a defensive weapon into an offensive weapon. Wow, there you go. You can imagine that when you've got all these folk uh, who've got the chips, because they want to give you chips for everything, and I tell you how to make it so wonderful to have chips in you. Know. So eventually, you probably won't get medicine as such, or you'll get a medical chip implant that will fix everything for you. You see. And you can imagine that one night you're all lying in bed. This is a horror movie. Maybe make a horror movie. You're all lying in bed, and then then DARPA activates the chip, and then millions of folk from across the country just get up in the middle of the night and asleep there and walk like like zombies. You see, uh, chipped zombies uh, into the. You could do stacks of movies on that because what they've done it on everything else, haven't they? Anyway, uh, I'll put this article up too, and then this one here. DARPA wants to wirelessly connect human brains to machines, allowing soldiers to fully control weapon systems and view things remotely like a three-eyed raven. Wow. Or feel stuff remotely. It says it's a stuff science fiction, but scientists have already made some advances in the field. The first human neuroprosthetic devices appeared in the mid-1990s. That's when they put out the, the PR stuff on the chips, allowing patients to truly control artificial limbs, but those required surgical interventions. More experiments during the early 2010s showed that scientists could reconstruct people's vision into digital video, but that's far from being real-time. And most recently, scientists at Carnegie Mellon University have figured out how to connect two brains using a machine to transfer information wirelessly. So two heads are better than one, see? They are. They want to help you, understand? And it gives you a different uh, universities are in the programs. They always use our tax money for everything, don't they? This article here is pretty good. It's, it's about UN hysteria linking climate change and species extinction mindlessly parted by the media. A little, a little history of it, but uh, a lot of it I read years ago on other, other um, websites to do with their predictions to terrify the public, including the quotes from the leaders of these different uh, e- ecological organizations and NGOs and heads of them at the United Nations too, when they admitted blatantly, we always give them scary scenarios to terrify them, otherwise they won't listen to us, you see. And they're still doing it, of course. 
So it's truly said that UN reports on the climate extinctions are printed throughout the media to push the agenda and scare the public, especially the children, with no questions asked and no attempt to verify information in the reports. So this article here goes into the, the oh, you always see one million species are threatened with extinction because of the humans and then uh, Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, a United Nations Committee, whose report was written by 145 experts, see experts from 50 countries, talking about tens of thousands are already dead, blah, blah, blah. And, and they give you the, the, the numbers from, like, decades ago. And none of us should be, be here by now, because even in the 90s they said we, we, we wouldn't hit 2000. Actually, they, they said we wouldn't hit 1990 initially. We'd all starve to death, you see. And here we all are. And, uh, and and all the other scary scenarios too And they're still at it And then Prince Charles came out years ago And said, oh, you've got a hundred and odd days to live If we don't change it right now You see, the way we live And of course that, that came and went And and the royalty's still getting married And having children and so on It says, UN predicts disaster if global warming's not checked 1989, senior UN environment official says Entire nations could be wiped off the face of the earth By rising sea levels uh, That's why I bought a snorkel a big long snorkel, just in case, eh? uh, if the global warming trend is not reversed by the year 2000. Oh, coastal flooding, crop failures, oh, oh, eco-refugees would happen, blah, blah, blah. That was from the United Nations Environmental Programme. Oh, terrifying scenario, is eh? And then they said that there are three trillion trees on the earth, yeah. but they're disappearing fast. It's interesting, they keep getting you different studies, but obviously they've got people going around counting them all, eh? A study led by Yale University researchers found that there are over 3 trillion trees on Earth, but they're disappearing at an alarming rate. It found there are around 3.04 trillion trees on Earth, or around 422 for each person on the planet. The number is a huge increase in the previous global estimate, which was just over four, 400 billion trees, see? And, and that's, they, they played that one up before, too. Oh, oh, there's 400 billion trees on the planet. Now it's 3 trillion. It's getting more than, than few, rather than fewer. So we've been told that humans and CO2 are killing oceans, so, so, so now they only estimate there are 3.5 trillion left. That's, that, that's what they're saying. Right? That seems to be an odd definition of dying. Mm-hmm, I'd say so. There you are. And how many fish live in the ocean? According to the best estimates of the scientists, there are, it gives you 3.5 trillion fish currently living in the ocean. I guess I've got someone to go around counting them all. And it says... Then there were all those looming disasters projected by scientists on the first Earth Day almost 50 years ago. That's what it was created for the Earth Day, right? A quick summary, we would all be dead by 1985 to the year 2000. And it says, um, we would be out of food by 1970 or 1980s. And during the 1980s, 4 billion people would die, including 65 million in the U.S. And by 1980, urban dwellers would have to wear gas masks to survive. And soon none of our land would be usable because of too much nitrogen. And the rivers would be out of oxygen and freshwater fish would all be gone. Oh my God, the sky is falling, eh? And by 1995, 75% to 80% of species would be gone. And back then, but mind you, the first bit out of an ice age, they'd banked on a coming ice age to terrify us all, to give up all our rights so that the experts could manage us, you see, for depopulation and austerity and all but it didn't work out, so they turned to global warming. And now they just settle on climate change because they, they try to cover all the bases. And, and it was the worst winter I've seen up here since I've been here. This winter passed. 
Anyway, uh, I mean, it lasted half, it's half, over half the year before the snow was gone. And we're going to have an ice age, but the earth would be four degrees cooler by 1990 and 11 degrees colder by 2000. That's, that was initial some point it's got the coming ice age. But this article is just full of all the quotes from all the different associations and organizations to terrify you, including, of course, naturally, Paul Ehrlich, you know, who gave you the population bomb, because that's a real agenda, it's to depopulate the planet. How can you do it? Well, terrify them, and you can't have all these children who are just consuming and creating pollution, you see. There you go. And it's interesting, I mean, Paul Ehrlich and his wife was on the board, actual board of the Club of Rome, eh? (laughs) <laughs> they came out with the agenda it terrified the public uh, because uh, it's the only way to do it to give them scary scenarios, etc. And man would be the, the enemy of the planet, and that's, that would fit the bill. Well, that's what they came up with. Never changed. Big agenda, global agenda, and all the world's elite are in on it, folks. Yes, they are. The big club is in on it. And uh, you're, just the, you're, you're the cause of all, all the problems, apparently. You see? And they're not going to change it just for you, little old you. You might think you're important, but they don't. But it's just astonishing, isn't it, that the nonsense we get fed, the nonsense we get fed for a big, big agenda, a big global agenda. Hmm? Another one here, too, is one million species threatened with extinction because of humans. One, not one million in one minute, but one, one million, exactly. One million plants, eight million species it's astonishing. Everything's like I used to when you come to the states or, or Canada, you'd find t- towns, and you'd always find an even number. Even ended up with OO or whatever uh, for the population on a signpost going into a place. I said, "My God, there was this population planning for you." Well, here they are. You see, with uh, one million species, one million exactly threatened with extinction because of humans. And it says here that uh, the global rate of a species extinction is already tens to hundreds of times higher than it has been on average over the last 10 million years. This is the oldest counter we've ever had, this guy that counted them all. According to the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services. Here's a mouthful for you. See, that must be, that's very important with a big long one like that, eh? I'm impressed, aren't you? A UN committee whose report was written by 145 experts from 50 countries. Mm-mm. There you go. Species extinction. And the actual number of species in the endangered species appears to be 3,000. So why are we told that 1 million are endangered? But when you go into it, there's only 3,000, it says. And even then, it's iffy. So endangered species, once they're gone, there's no bringing them back. Currently, more than 3,000 species of animals are considered endangered in the United States. Well, what happened to that 1 million? Eh? I mean, what? I mean, what is it here? You see what I'm saying? And, and their own policies, they tell you one thing, but when you wanted to go and look, it's only 3,000. And even that's iffy. It says the US, the Endangered Species Act was passed in 1973 to help with conservation efforts, but there are now three times as many endangered species as there were just 10 years ago. If you look at the number of species that have gone extinct since the last almost 120 years, they say it's 477, or around four a year. This author said, I'm sure most of those started going extinct long before fossil fuels could have caused the problem. So four species per year, and the UN puts out the prediction of one million, and journalists like puppets just print this as fact, really. 
says 10 animals that have gone extinct in the last 100 years. Nearly 500 species have gone extinct during the last century, and in most cases we humans are to blame, according to a 2050 study by the National Autonomous University called UNAM. It says 477 species have disappeared since 1900 due to degradation and destruction of their natural habitats. The researchers said it was the largest mass extinction of species in history. In 1989, the UN predicted uh, disaster, and we only had 10 years left to fix the problem. They were 100% wrong, but journalists and other Democrats pushing the agenda. It's also Republicans, they're all on board with it. Take trillions away from the public, and they don't care. And of course, the money goes elsewhere, right? And then the UN predicts disaster of global warming is not checked. And that was June 29, 1989. A senior UN environmental official says entire nations can be wiped off the face of the earth by rising sea levels if the global warming trend is not reversed by the year 2000. And coastal flooding, crop failures, the same stuff they just keep recycling, you see. And eco-refugees would be caused and threatened political chaos and said Noel Brown, director of the New York office, blah, blah, blah. So that's what they hope to do for, and, and actually Rockefeller's also had uh, articles out on the eco-refugees could happen, but they changed their minds eventually and say it's better just to have economic refugees, as they call it today, just mass migration, uh, to where the, the best uh, money is, basically, <laughs> even if, it's, if they can't get work for the folk there. It says, Governments have a 10-year window of opportunity to solve the greenhouse effect before it goes beyond human control as they spray the skies and, and cause global dimming, eh? according, according to all the satellite organizations and, and, uh, and NASA, etc. Global dimming, they say. Spraying away. And they talk about greenhouse gas. Most of the greenhouse gas, they call it, is actually water moisture. And, and the carbon dioxide is, is a point zero 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 something. Uh, it's a trace gas. But that doesn't, facts don't matter, eh? Then Yale University estimated there were 3 trillion trees on the earth. Ah, there you go. And previous estimates are 400 billion. So, there you go. And how many fish in the ocean? Again, I've done that one already. And we're about a food either by 1970s or 1980s. Oh, there you go. Hmm? So the 18 spectacularly wrong apocalyptic predictions made around the time of the first Earth Day in 1970. Expect more this year. And that's what they do every year. They actually say that, that they get together to give you scary scenarios. There you go. Facts don't matter, you see. As if you, it's only if you believe what they're telling you to create... You see, you won't budge. I, I, one of my talks in the 90s, is, I, I said it's like we're, we're like cattle. They talk about we're cattle, you see, to them. And if we're content in a, in a field with grass, we graze. We like to graze, and why not, you know? And, and as your pals are about you, are grazing at the same time, and you're quite content. But you see, to get change going, to get change going, or even to get you moved in their field, they've got to stir you up to get you moving. And it's not quite easy, so they've got to scare you. It's easy to scare you. Like you see the cowboy in westerns, and they start shooting the guns in the air and, and, and hollering and so on, and, and, and trying to stampede them to get them moving. And they say that with all their, their courses on, on human behavior, if you can get them terrified and hysterical, you get them moving in fear, and don't let them stop and relax. If you stop and relax and start chewing the cut again, like the, like the cattle, then you do it all over again. But once you've got them moving, don't give them a break. Just keep them moving, keep them moving, keep them terrified. And this is, what, this, is the, this is the agenda towards planned change, step by step by step by step, over so many years. 
and it's all still happening yet. It's worked awfully well. I mean, repetition, repetition is astonishing how it all works, isn't it? Repetition. And uh, the folk just go on and on and on with it uh, from a thousand sources until they start spouting it themselves automatically. It's all understood in psychology, of course. But that's the world in which we live, eh? And that all the stuff I mentioned tonight it, it was nowhere about where I was going to talk about at all. But it just came out that way because I, I realized that the stuff I was going to talk about would probably take me a, a couple of hours anyway. As I was prattling on there about the scary scenarios. But uh, that's that's how we're managed, folks. And most folk haven't got a clue because do you realize the basic cases we would, we would be if you were trained at an early age into reality? That the people above you are not there to help you at all. It's like a horror movie when you committee after like a whole pyramid of committees above you and organisations managing your brain and managing what they want you to believe in all the thousands of topics and, and programming you to make sure that you go along with all. So in other words, you, these people are not superior to you. They're not benefactors. They're a scientific tourney, exactly as Lord Bertrand Russell said they would bring in. And he, he wrote that uh, in his own book in the 1940s, I believe. He said that there, there will always be a tourney. He says, we can bring in a tourney. And uh, at that time he was talking about, uh, you had the, the, the Nazis of Germany in World War II that affected naturally everybody. And before that, and during the, the, the World War II, and afterwards, it never stopped, was communism, the Soviet communism, of course, and the Soviet bloc countries that came out of it, and then the Cold War, of course, that came out afterwards too. Uh, but there's all these mass movements, and they were really encouraged of how uh, the Soviets, for instance, could, could um, manage many countries within the Soviet bloc and, uh, and make them obedient. Mind you, they used terror techniques and everything else too. To create a new type of humanity, an obedient society, with as less kickback as possible. It was all big experiments, you see. And then they blended the two together. And everything was learned during the Soviet techniques. The techniques were used today. They blended the two systems together. And that was what the Rees Commission uh, came out with back in the 1950s in the United States by, by Dodds, you know, Norman Dodds. The Rees Commission came out with all of that. They said they'd blend eventually seamlessly the Soviet system with, with the, the Western system, blend the two together, and that would be the new system. Well, that's where we are, folks. If you haven't figured it out, that's what happened. And that, of course, was what the foundations that were owned by the big, big, um, well, even the, 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 the I mean, for instance, um, the Rockefellers, remember, too, and the clique they belong to uh, own the banks, which are the U.S. Uh, Treasury, the national banks themselves, Banks of America. And they own the top industries, too, was to grab all the, all the big industries that folk would need to live in, uh, which they did, and then create the big foundations and manage all the NGOs and, and education. You've got to get a unified, a, a universal education or indoctrination, you should really call it for an obedient to global citizen. And that's what you got that too. It doesn't mean that it's factual, that, that what, they what they teach you to believe is facts. It's, it's only important that you 
believe it's a fact when you're brainwashed with it because they're looking at you to see if, if it's worked on you or not. And if it's not worked on you, they're going to pull you in and, you know, tweak, tweak a few screws in your brain there to make sure it works properly. And properly to them means your indoctrination uh, is, is moving and running you. They always talked about re-education camps in Soviet or communist countries. They still have them in communist countries. And they're very, very real. To bring you in to make sure that you'll say the things you're supposed to say and you will not say this the things that you're not supposed to say. We have it here now, as you're being trained and trained and trained and on the use of vocabulary and certain words, which are going to be taboo. And then the, the words which are taboo then lead to topics that are taboo until they, they gradually thin out all the things that, that are maybe obvious to you as they introduce new things that are going to upset you and then that'll be taboo as well. That's how it's managed. That's real neuroscience and psychology and behaviorism in action. You're a specimen of it today, folks. So for those who don't get freaked out with scary scenarios and who understand it all and who have kept their brains above water with big uh, snorkel poles because it gets flooding, I'm on Watt from Ontario, Canada, and it's good night, so may your God or your gods go with you. <laughs>